0: Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Networks podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We represent various groups working on literacy in the state. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed, LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Vail Smith. Today, we will be talking to leaders from Aldean Independent School District in Aldine, Texas. Dr. Matt Warford, Executive Director of Teaching and Learning, and Ms. Demedia Edwards, Director of Literacy, are our guests. Dr. Matt Warford serves as the Executive Director of Teaching and Learning. He has 17 years of experience and has served as a teacher, instructional coach, assistant principal, principal, and district leader. Prior to joining Aldine In July of 2019, he was the director of elementary education in Angleton Independent School District, where he was responsible for developing and implementing pre-K through fifth grade curriculum, supporting campus leaders, and overseeing the teacher appraisal system. Literacy is a central focus of his work, and to help push it forward, he has served as a member of the Aldine Independent School District Literacy Task Force, provided training to campus and district leadership on their new literacy framework, and coordinated efforts with the outside partners and oversaw the district's new way forward literacy implementation plan. Ms. Media Edwards joined Aldean Independent School District in 2001 and currently serves as the district's director of literacy. Over the years, she has served in different capacities, including elementary classroom teacher, assistant principal, skills specialist, and dyslexia specialist. In her most recent role, she was the principal of Marcella Elementary School. She received her bachelor's degree in education from Henderson State University and a master's degree in curriculum and instruction from Houston Baptist University. She is currently a doctoral candidate at Baylor University pursuing an EDD in learning and organizational change. Welcome, Dr. Warford and Ms. Edwards. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having us. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Yes, thank you. We're so excited to be here with you.
0: First of all, can you give our listeners some background on where Aldine is, how many students you serve, and what the demographics of your student population look like?
1: So we are on the north side of Houston in Texas. We have 67,000 students. We are a very diverse population with about 70% Hispanic, 25% African-American, and then about 5% other a lot of EL students. And of course, we love them all. So we love our kids.
0: And I saw also the high poverty.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, we're the high nineties percent poverty rate. So we are a Title One district. Just about all of our schools service those students, you know, honestly, and really don't think about it, because again, our students are our students. And We're here to do what we can for every single kid that we can.
0: Well, and that's important to some people because if you are working with those populations, sometimes when you bring outside people in, they always say, oh, well, it works there. It couldn't work here. And so that's one of the reasons I always try to establish the demographics because sometimes people shut their ears after they hear that the demographics are are different, but you have what would otherwise be considered a challenging set of demographics for for some people.
1: That makes absolute sense. So
0: everyone wants children to read well, but why especially is it important for Aldine Independent School District to work on literacy?
2: We have, for the last, I'm not sure how many years, but for the last several years, seen a steady decline in how our students are performing on state assessments, and just overall in the area of literacy. With a new superintendent and with a renewed focus on literacy, we just decided that we needed to make a shift, that we were not giving our kids the opportunities that they needed post-secondary or even in school to be successful. And so we have really been hyper-focused on literacy and making sure that as leaders, as teachers, as administrators, as parents, that we really come together and get it right so that our students have better opportunities.
1: Yeah, our superintendent... Goffney says literacy is the gateway to opportunity, and we will not be the gatekeepers for any kids. We are going to be the ones who open every door we can. Like Demedia said, we are going to do everything we can to build them up, and we know that we can do that through literacy.
0: I agree completely. I love that. What is your current action plan toward improving literacy for your students? And then maybe tell us how you came about with that
2: particular plan. So before we did anything in terms of looking at curriculum and adopting anything, we had to get clear about the need for change in our district. We started by defining what is our literacy vision and framework in our district? What do we believe as educators and what are we expecting of ourselves to provide this for our students. And so once we were able to get clear about what our vision was and what research says about what good literacy instruction looks like, we were able to go spend a year studying. We looked at the science of reading. We looked at schools that were getting it right. And, and we really used those pieces of information to inform our own framework that we developed. So I'll let Dr. Warford talk a little bit about our action plan. So what are we focusing on now?
1: So once we designed that framework, we adopted high-quality instructional materials. We adopted CKLA for our elementary grades and Wit and Wisdom for our middle school grades. That's all aligned to the science of reading. And it's all about ensuring that we ha- are aligned to building those foundational skills, that we're building those foundational skills in our kids so that they really have the skill sets to read and that they have the background knowledge, the vocabulary to really comprehend what they're doing and we're training our teachers we're we're making sure that all of our leaders have the skills that they know to lead those new paradigm shift and how we're tackling literacy we're on this journey together and it's a big shift for this year and so our goal this year is fidelity of implementation and to really see how far we can move the needle with skillful practice
2: one other big part of that action plan is the professional learning piece that that Matt talked about a bit. So it was shifting away from relegating this work to our literacy coaches or to instructional specialists, but it was owning the fact that we as literacy leaders have to be willing to come in, come to the table and learn together. So shifting our organization to becoming a learning organization was a really big part of that work. It's evident through everything that we're doing as part of our actions this school year and moving forward. So with such a large district,
0: it must seem like you are mobilizing a small army trying to move this needle. What challenges have you faced trying to make these changes?
1: I think the biggest challenge, like you said, is just getting everyone onboarded all at the same time. Really, our big focus at first was the why. And everyone comes to their why at a different place, at a different time. And so we have a sense of urgency with this work though. And so it's taking the time to give people the space to have that cognitive dissonance with what they know versus what we're trying to tell them while also saying, okay, but we have to move forward because of what we're doing. Then the other big challenge along with all that, though, is we were doing all this during a major pandemic. So for the most of this work we were doing at the beginning, we were all doing this virtually. All of our initial onboarding trainings was done at home. Getting all the materials was done at home. Our teachers did it brilliantly. We were so proud at the way they just rolled up their sleeves and said, okay, even with this challenge, we're going to embrace it. But that was a challenge. And so they were learning this new stuff while learning how to do virtual teaching while dealing with cognitive dissonance and trying to fix a COVID slide that kids who had been out of school for mainly, for maybe six months, that was a lot. We're really proud of the way our teachers stepped up and said, okay, we can tackle this one step at a time. And our approach to it is, you're not gonna be perfect day one, you're not gonna be perfect day uh, six months into it, but every day we're gonna get better at it. And we're gonna practice that, it. we're gonna embrace it, and we're gonna learn every time we get our chance to practice.
2: Another challenge that pops up or continues to pop up from time to time is that when we're doing something new, our human nature is to want to revert back to what we're familiar with, even though we know that that didn't necessarily serve our students well. And so that's been a challenge in some instances when we get to that new learning or when it gets tough, the instinct is to to go back to some practices before, but we continue to message that this is the right work. This is what's best for kids. And our superintendent, Dr. Latanya Goffney, is very hands-on and very in much in the work with us and with principals and with teachers. And so she's messaging that and we're hearing that on all levels that it's a safe place to learn, that this year we're going to go all in. Everyone's going to be fully committed to this work because we really do believe in what we're doing.
0: Having worked in a large district myself, we had about half the number of kids you guys do. I know that the larger the implementation, the more difficult it is to achieve that fidelity. And you know, sometimes the fidelity word translates to the F word. And so I, I think having that consistent messaging and everyone being on the same page is just So absolutely essential to that. Can you speak a little to any results that you've seen so far?
1: So we don't have a whole lot of quantitative data yet. So a lot of our wins are around qualitative data. And, you know, the first real win I can name is when I got a parent that sent me a message that said, hey, I want to know more about this literacy program you have. Because when I asked my kid what they're learning at school, it was the first time they didn't just say nothing. They came home and started telling me all about this stuff. And that was a huge win. And then we have teachers that report that in kindergarten, they see their kids reading more further along than they ever had at this time of the year. And then we have teachers saying, hey, they are doing well on these unit assessments that they didn't expect them to do well with vocabulary. So we're seeing those small wins as the way we're calculating that this is working for us. Right now in the midst of our MOI screeners uh, with in-class assessments, so we're hoping to see some gains through that data. But we also understand that student achievement data is not going to be just miraculously changed because of this one implementation in six months. This isn't a silver bullet. This is going to take time and a lot of patience and maybe years is to really change the trajectory of student learning. But we believe this is the right work. And media, if you want to add to that.
2: Some of the biggest wins that we see is when we do have students that are learning on campus. And so we're visiting campuses and in classrooms. And you go into classrooms and you hear students talking about Don Quixote or talking about Greek civilizations. And they're really deeply immersed in these rich conversations. And they're using this vocabulary. And they're excited about their learning. Anyone, even someone who's maybe a little bit skeptical, goes into a situation like that and you can't help but be convinced and, and have a renewed sense of purpose that this is the right thing. When kids are excited about their learning and they're eager to really engage and they're owning that learning, that's been a consistent win that we've seen across all campuses in our district.
0: I know that you have a high population of Hispanic students. And I think probably uh, some of those are English as a second language. Can you speak to the impact of this literacy work for those students?
1: Absolutely. So roughly 55% of our students are labeled as ESL learners. And we truly believe equity is one of the most important elements of instruction. We value the language that they come with but we know that our program is about transitioning them to to the English language. We utilize these materials to help them build to that language. Um, It's all about academic vocabulary, helping them get those foundational skills and then helping them master that academic vocabulary. So we do a lot of English language development, helping them get that, grasp it, and then transitioning them into the English language. And it's working well. We talk a lot about scaffolds. And supports to help them do that as they navigate and make that transition. But we believe that this program really does help them because it really immerses them in the content. That's one of the big shifts is before we were kind of that scatter plot of topics. And it's really hard for a kid to ever really know what's up and down. They're they're by the time they grasp something, they're moving on. Whereas here they're so immersed in it they can really dig deep into their understanding of it. And then, oh, now I can learn that vocabulary, I can get this, some ideas. I can connect it with non-linguistic representations, and then I get an understanding of it and then apply it to my my own learning.
2: And when we did get to the part of our journey where we started looking at curriculum, it was really important for us to to find something that was culturally responsive. Mm -hmm. And that included um, authors and and books and, and literature, authentic literature that gave our students an opportunity to see themselves and to understand the world that they live in. Our curriculum is very rich in that it does just that. Our students have windows and mirrors and they can see characters that look like themselves and they're able to understand their own positionality in the world through this rich experience that they're getting while building knowledge and and building and maintaining their first language as well. Because although our point, our goal is to transition and give them the skills they need for success in English, we're also wanting to maintain that Spanish language, so that they are able to really, truly be bilingual as they progress through our school system.
0: You mentioned earlier about the COVID slide, and you've had probably kids, some on campus, some doing virtual, everybody's kind of up in the air, kind of on a rotating basis as situations dictate. But have you gotten any plans for how you are going to deal with the the slide, with the gaps that uh, COVID is causing many of our students?
2: Honestly, what we're pushing right now and really being intentional about is that we have a strong tier one instruction that will meet students where they are and meet their needs. And in doing so, we're also showing our teachers that there are nuggets and opportunities that they can use to build those skills that students may be a little bit weakened or may be missing through that tier one instruction. And now, of course, we know that there are students who need more than just a little extra support. They need more intensive targeted support. And so we're, we're very fortunate that we have a resource that allows our teachers to really get granular with those skills. It's set up in such a way that it goes back to that specific skill that's missing and gives a teacher the opportunity to really remediate that and to go deeply with it, to monitor students' progress and to really be intentional with that. Now, it's not a perfect system because we still have students who are learning at home. We have some students who are learning on campus. And so there's still that dynamic that's happening. We're just continuing to push that tier one instruction and making sure that every student is getting a a rich experience every day and then giving our teachers some tools to remediate where needed.
1: I agree 100%. We did adopt a, an intervention program that we believe strongly in. So it's tier one plus that intervention. And we think that's going to be the best thing for a buck right now.
0: So what lessons have you learned so far about how best to change this literacy trajectory for
1: students? Wow, that's a, that's a huge question. Uh, I love it. What we learned is first that it's going to take unlearning on adults in a lot of ways. I can't speak for you know other states, but here in Texas, we were really rooted in certain practices. And as adults, we had to really unlearn what we thought we knew. And that was the biggest thing. If for us to really change the trajectory of students' ability to read and really read well, we are gonna have to do things differently. So I think that's number one. Two, I can't stress the value that comes with adopting high quality instructional materials. That's not the solution to all problems. But the value that comes with it has been huge. Um, Camaraderie, the common language, the access to complex text, all the, the values that come with it mean a lot. And then I think the third thing is the need for systematic phonics and those foundational skills. That just has to be part of any literacy program. So I think that's what I would say would be my big three, Ms. Edwards.
2: You, you took two of my three in that comment that you, in your last response. But I would say that um, again, like much of what Matt said, some other big learnings that we've had are just that our kids are capable of doing difficult things. That a lot of the limits that we that are placed on kids are the adults and our own beliefs or limitations of what we think students can do. But when we really give kids an opportunity to really do tough things, kids will rise to the challenge. And so we see students that are in kindergarten talking about botany and discussing things that are really abstract and and things that are really beyond what you might expect in a typical kindergarten classroom. But when we give kids opportunity to do those things, kids will surprise you with what they are able to do. And so that's been one of the proudest and, and biggest learning moments that we've had. That
0: is something to be really proud of. So your school system is providing a free virtual conference this Saturday, uh, which I'm registered for and super excited about. <laughs> How did this come about and what are you hoping to accomplish by doing this?
1: So, you know, it was a it was a Saturday. Our district was actually doing another conference that we we're doing. It's called TCCA and it was a technology conference. It was a wonderful day of learning that we present, and Damidi and I were texting, and I said, you know, we're doing some amazing things with literacy. I think we need to do a conference for literacy. And the idea is we're pretty doing something unique in Texas that a lot of other people aren't doing. And we have loved the partnerships that we've formed from other places. Like, we in Alabama. We follow y'all on Twitter. Curriculum Matters is an organization that I follow, and partnerships from Tennessee Lyft. We get such value of seeing what other places are doing. Well, here in Texas, we're, we're one of the the only ones doing it. So we thought, well, maybe some other districts might want to do it. And we definitely wanted our teachers to have some training. So we thought, okay, let's do this. And, you know, let's just see how many people come. And maybe a couple hundred will come. It's a Saturday in January. Who knows what will happen? So we opened up and, you know, we thought 500 was the goal. And then we were so fortunate that we got some major talents like Karen um, from, uh, Curriculum Matters joined in, and Robin, who's uh, uh, from Tennessee, and Janice, just these wonderful colleagues of ours to join us. And then Natalie Wexler said she would present a session for us. She wrote The Knowledge Gap, and suddenly our numbers jumped up to about a 1,000, and then Meredith Lieben joined, and then it got up to about 1,200, and then we got these awesome authors, and we're at 1,500, and y'all can't see because it it's a podcast, but is wearing a shirt with all their names on it. And now we're about 1,780, is that right, medium? That is, we're a few
2: shy of 1,800.
1: And, and really the goal is one, to share what the science of reading is about for those, one, who maybe aren't familiar with it, to give them a taste for it. Two, for those who are familiar with it, there are sessions that will grow their learning, to give them a chance to go deeper with it. Um, for all the teachers, we want to give them more professional learning because we're, we're new to this work, and we wanted to give give them high quality trainings that they can enjoy, and then it's a chance for literacy lovers to come together and experience a day where we can continue to build our professional, to have professional development, enjoy each other, grow, and just have a day which is memorable, but also of high quality learning. And I probably rambled there, and I'm sorry for all the podcast listeners, but I'm so excited; my head's just all over the place for this weekend.
2: So so excited, and to add on to what Matt said. Our journey hasn't been a smooth path, Like we've seen some twists and turns, and we've had some unexpected bumps along the way, but we wanted to be vulnerable and share that journey with others. We wholeheartedly believe in what we're doing, and we know that there are other districts that are wanting to make a shift. So even though our journey is not complete and it's not perfect, we knew that this would be a great way for us to just share. Like our chief academic officer, Dr. Todd Davis, says, you can't take your best thing and your best idea and hold it close to your chest. If like we have to be willing to be bold and to share and willing to come to the table and learn from other people. And so we're excited that this conference is going to give us a chance to do that, strengthening our muscles, sharing our story, and then also building our teacher's capacity to keep pushing forward.
0: am so grateful that you have taken that approach and are willing to share because I do think that there are lots of People out there that are starting this work, that are doing this work, and that collaborative approach helps us all. So, I want to thank both of you for being with us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you and learning from you. And I can't wait until Saturday for the conference. And I want to remind all of our listeners that it's not too late to register for this event. So, I hope that they don't miss out on this great opportunity.
1: Yeah, we hope to see them Saturday. We would love for them to join. Um, Lots of sessions, lots of great people to listen to and learn from. And like I said, it's a a chance to connect with people who uh, love literacy, just like the people listening to this podcast. And thank you for inviting us. We we really had an awesome time being here.
0: Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our next podcast episode as we continue to explore literacy in the state of Alabama and what is working well in other parts of the United States.